Hello and welcome to Goodbye to All That, Pop Rights After Party for our favorite shows. Today, we are here to talk about Hulu original series, Hellstrom, based on the Marvel Comics anti-hero, Damon Hellstrom, and his sister, Santana, or Satana, I guess, uh, Hellstrom, who are the spawns of Satan in those comic books. Um, I'm joined today uh, by Adam Barnard, who is of comicbook.com and the Marvel News Desk podcast. Uh, to try to help me make sense of all of this. So, Adam, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm doing great, man. We're we're talking Hellstrom. Um, so it can't get much better than this. And as I say that, I'm already thinking of a million ways it could get much better. But yeah, Hellstrom. <laughs> let's uh, let's let's talk about Hellstrom. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna dive into everything now. <laughs> but before we get into the show. Um, for people who don't know your your work, um, you're a podcaster on Marvel News Desk, which yep. is a podcast that kind of uh, dives into all of the ins and outs and rumors and things like that that are going on uh, in the Marvel uh, entertainment universe, right? So the movies mm-hmm. and the TV shows and sometimes even the comic books. Um, and this Hellstrom property has been in development for what I feel like has been ages. Yes. And it, right. it definitely, it seemed like for a while we were not actually going to get it um with all of the kinds of crazy ins and outs uh that have been going on with marvel tv over the last few years um but through the whole thing adam on that show has been so excited for this Mm -hmm. to come on so i'm really excited to have you here so we can kind of have like the super fan perspective um and to start out with that i'd like to ask you like what is your basic background with hellstrom in the comics both damon and his sister and that whole thing because i'll be honest i have a little bit of a background with a lot of uh, Marvel comic stuff, but this is a total blind spot for me. Right. Um, yeah. First off, um, I do have to admit, I, I do consider myself a, a Marvel television apologist. So that's why, uh, you know, I think Hellstrom, I uh, helped promote a substantial amount. So that's kind of my whole <laughs> disclaimer, <laughs> disclaimer on this whole chat of what I'm about to say for the next hour. Um, but yeah, I've I've always gravitated towards the uh, the darker and spookier characters of Marvel. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's um, I don't know. Is it maybe the depression or or something? You know, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. I just enjoy the the darker stories because I'm not even a, a huge like horror movie buff at all. Um, but I love the uh, you know the Hellstroms of the world, the Ghost Riders, Blades. You know, um, Elsa Bloodstones, um, Mephisto, you know, Mephisto's first appearance is one of the, the favorite um, comic covers I own. Um, you know, I, I don't know why. Maybe because it's um, the hipster in me likes how it's not Spider-Man or Wolverine, you know, or Superman or, or Batman. Maybe it's maybe that's what's more attractive. But I just... I like to, um, you know, especially as a creative, I like the stories that aren't necessarily all good and all sunshine, you know, especially when it comes with the Hellstroms, you know, they have glaring character flaws. And I think they're, that provides for richer storytelling compared to um a person who who flies around on, on webs around their neighborhood. You know, I, I hate throwing <laughs> shade at Spider-Man since Spider-Man, Spider-Man, you know, but that's just, um, I think why, 
why these these stories attract me most. You know, you have Blade, who's part vampire, and, and it's not by choice. You know, and it, it creates a lot of conflict and enriched storytelling there. And and the same thing with Ghost Rider. You know, he's he's all all of them are consumed by the spirit of vengeance, and not necessarily any of them want it. You know, um, right? It's just that darker stuff, and and that leads into the whole age old. R-rated, rated R type stuff, you know, and Hellstrom had a um, a Max series once Marvel, um, when Marvel used to do Max, that was pretty um, out there, you know, and those are the types of, the types of stories I enjoy. Like the Nighthawk Max series, if you haven't read the Nighthawk Max series, that's probably one of my favorite runs of all time. It's probably the most disgusting thing Marvel's ever done. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, it's good. I don't know. I'm not even sure if I uh, answered your question, to be honest. I'm kind of <laughs> walking around, running around in circles now. But, yeah, I just I, I enjoy the characters because it's, it's different, you know? Yeah, well, I think that that makes sense. And, you know, in a lot of ways, like, Spider-Man belongs to the world, but Hellstrom belongs to you. And I can totally see the appeal of that. Yes, Hellstrom um, and- is mine, and no one can touch him. Never ever. exactly just just like Iron Fist, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you brought. Oh man, don't bring up Iron Fist. We <laughs> we can well, talk so much. I I love Iron Fist so much. So I, br- I bring him up yes. because I, like I bring him up because I feel like this show is closest to like in terms of Marvel content, closest to the Netflix shows that got a lot of press a number of years ago. The Defenders series were should be daredevil and jessica jones and luke cage and iron fist and i know of that group iron fist is definitely the character that you like the best and you were a huge public defender of that series in a way that few other people are (laughs) um but so i wanted to just start out talking about the show by asking you like how do you feel like this series fits in with that brand of netflix shows it's it's very similar so you've You've listened to Marvel News Desk a lot, and we oh, we despise the two Gs, right? Grounded and gritty. Um, <laughs> yes, but but that's that's how it is. It, it's it's Marvel Television, so coming into Hellstrom, you know, it's it's unreasonable to expect the Marvel Studios fanfare, right? It's even though you want it, even though I want it, even though millions of other moviegoers want to see Damon and Satana scissor kick Mephisto in the face while they use ginormous fireballs to mow down legions of demons. Um, we were never ever going to get that for Marvel television. You know, it's, it's always the grounded approach. It's always the gritty approach. It's um, apparently Marvel tell a whole studio trying to convert every character into batman in in a sense you know (laughs) um so my initial approach to hellstrom is one i'm flabbergasted people dislike it more than iron fist season one because we just brought up iron fist and i didn't mind iron fist season one but it's that and hellstrom's complete night and day difference in terms of quality and and an actual arc and, and character development and all that stuff so floors my mind people are rating Iron Fist season one above Hellstrom, um, but um, with with Marvel Television thinking cap on, you know, and realizing that Hellstrom's 
going to be grounded and gritty going into it. You know, um, I, I was pleasantly surprised with the results. You know, it was grounded in a way that made sense. You know, it wasn't like um, they totally stripped the dragon out and took away a fist, you know, or cut Medusa's hair so they won't have to pay for hair visual effects <laughs> anymore. They, they had, Damon and, and Anna had powers, um, and I applaud them for using it more often than not. Um, I'm sure someone somewhere, there's going to be a YouTube channel that counts up power usage, and I'm probably totally wrong because somehow Iron Fist lights up his fist more than Damon and Anna use their powers. I don't know. Um, yeah, although for people who watched all of Iron Fist, they'll know there was a lot of moments where like Danny would start to power up his fist and then not actually use it. And I feel like <laughs> we at least don't get teases like that with this show. Like when they do stuff, they actually do stuff. And then when they don't, like they find other interesting things to do, I think. Um, it's interesting that you say that this is getting worse reviews than the first season of Iron Fist. I That also is kind of surprising for me as well. Um, I know that you're a fan of that series, but they spent a lot of time in uh, season one of Iron Fist trying to figure out what exactly the show was supposed to be. And I think mm -hmm. ultimately they ended up biting off a little bit more than they could chew. Whereas mm -hmm. with this series, you know, only 10 episodes, not the 13 that the Netflix shows have. Mm -hmm. um, and they really kind of kept a small cast. And I think they tried to tell a pretty contained story, um, which was, which I think was to their benefit. There weren't a lot of side plots that kind of, meandered for episodes at a time and you never really felt like oh gosh we're stuck with these people when i would rather be dealing with this like i feel like you know this and we'll get into like what works and what doesn't work about the show as we go on but i think that is actually one of the biggest differences between this series and the netflix shows uh, that we've seen before which is that it really was a little bit more focused and a little bit tighter and i think mm -hmm. that was really to its benefit what do you think about that agree wholeheartedly you know it's 13 man for whatever reason they they kept going back to 13 then they switched agents of shield over to the 13 and for whatever reason they, they were drawn to that number and there were there's all this talk about how no those were netflix mandated which didn't make sense because iron fist season two was 10 episodes and the defenders was like eight um mm -hmm. but uh hellstrom did certainly benefit um from the shorter season you know because as we'll talk about here in a little bit it did kind of drag on in certain points with with the whole uh marvel tv rigmarole or whatever you want to call it <laughs> with the the exposition and the drawn out stuff um but yeah i would say with hellstrom i can't imagine um what it would have been like with 13 episodes because you always get with the 13 you always get to this point where it's like man, we didn't need episode three, four, or five, right? You, mm -hmm. you look through, especially like Daredevil season two, uh, um, Luke Cage, uh, that whole second half of Luke Cage season one, it's like, what the hell happened, you know? Um, so I am glad that they did choose to uh, to do the 10-episode the, the order. And a lot of that, I think that might even come down to the, the showrunner for a certain extent. Um Obviously, Marvel Television is going to have the final call, um, but I do know, um, you know, Iron Fist season two, Raven Metzner lobbied for for the ten episodes because he said the same thing we did, you know. So it's, it's certainly possible Paul and his team wanted to go the ten episode route as well, or maybe Hulu only bought ten episodes, you know. Um, but when it comes to this stuff like this, 
Um, it's not uncommon in streaming to see short seasons, right? Isn't Stranger Things like six or eight episodes? Um, you know, limited series are, are very short. Game of Thrones seasons had six, seven, eight episodes. Um, so I don't under, I never understood why the 13 episode thing worked. Um, so yeah, I, I applaud them for going the, the shorter season with Elstrom. Yeah, yeah, I think that, you know, for the longest time, the industry standard was 22 episodes network. So like you want it to be on for half the year and you do repeats for the other half the year. Right. And then with premium shows, they decided to cut that basically in half by getting 13 episodes. And that became that 12, 13 episode model was really the standard for a long time. And uh, yeah, just in the last 10 years or so, there's been a lot more experimentation with shows running six episodes, seven episodes, 10 episodes. A lot of the times people still like to have a round number for some reason. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, it's there's there is a lot more experimentation there. And I think that that's like to everyone's benefit, because the story, in my opinion, should be as long as the story needs to be. Right. right. And when you try to stretch it, you usually can tell that that's what's going on. Um, and I think also a thing that people don't often I oftentimes hear people complain about like the episode lengths, like, oh, there's 13 episodes. It should really be 10. Um, and then we think like, oh, well, there's like one or two episodes that we could get rid of and then it would be the same story. But a lot of the times with these shows, when you have longer series orders or episode orders, you end up inserting more subplots in order to maintain, like to fill out all of the episodes, right? And I think that a story like this, which is so centered on a family and so centered on that experience is really benefited from having, from not having a lot of extraneous plot lines that have to be kind of wrapped up and, and interwoven. And that's going to bring us to kind of like the main thrust of this conversation, which for people who haven't actually watched the show yet, you know, I like to, this is a spoiler centered uh, environment and it's mostly designed for people who have watched the show, but you know, we get people who are interested in the show, but don't actually want to watch it still want to listen to our episodes. And as a result, I just want to, briefly tell people what the show is actually about which is uh there's these two orphans damon and anna uh their father was apparently some sort of serial killer who may or may not have been possessed by the devil or a demon at the very least and uh he eventually kind of went crazy and kidnapped his daughter and the family was separated and then he died. And, and then the fam, the two, the, the two kids had to grow up in separate houses and separate experiences. And they have kind of a strained relationship. Meanwhile, their mother who had been traumatized by living with this demonic presence also kind of goes crazy and is institutionalized. And then at some point, uh, gets possessed by a demon, uh, which the show kind of is leaves sort of confusing, in my opinion. We'll get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we kind of get to the main part of the show where, like, this series really starts, which is uh, they're trying to save their mother from this demon. Uh, they have to kind of be reunited because it seems like the demon is up to no good and is trying to sort of maybe bring their father back to the land of the living. Um, and in along the way, you kind of meet up with this nun named Gabrielle or Gabriella, who uh, is sort of like a little bit on the fence as to whether the Hellstroms, Damon and Anna, should be trusted or if they're actually good people. And uh, by the way, there's also this weird sort of like Illuminati kind of group called the Bloods that are kind of kicking around, also trying to fight demons. Uh, and they don't trust the, the Hellstroms, but uh, 
we get to see that the Hellstroms actually are pretty good people most of the time, except when they're murdering people, uh, which does happen. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, didn't, it ends up kind of going from there where like their mother sorts of the first five episodes, you really are centered on maybe the dad is back and that's what's going on. And there's a demon on the loose and they're trying to bring him to justice. And then it becomes clear that actually the dad is not coming back, but the, the demon that is inside their mother is. Uh, is causing all of these problems and she gets out and they have to get into a big fight and Gabriella gets in, gets pregnant with the demon and there's all sorts of crazy shenanigans um, and then we get to our finale where uh, our characters uh, vanquish the demon uh, uh, villains and get like how uh, Damon gets possessed for a little while he comes back to his own his old self again uh Gabriella is traumatized uh she gives birth to a demon baby so it's fair that she got traumatized um <laughs> and then we kind of get this this uh teaser to a season two that may or may never actually happen so that's kind of the thrust of the season <laughs> uh and as you see like it's a lot about this one particular family and there's a balance between trying to fill in all of the backstories for these characters you know Anna grew up in an orphanage Damon grew up uh with a nun who ran an institution um so they have like this this they seem to have been able to stay in touch that whole time but they have a frayed relationship so a lot of the show is about kind of like rekindling their their brother sister dynamic and trying to save their mother right and and the anxiety around their monstrous father and that's really kind of the the big emotional thrust of the series um and i'm curious for you like how do you think that that worked as a way to tell a story about these particular characters since you do have a lot of familiarity with the types of stories that these characters were used to tell in the comics yeah i i will say it's um you know going off the and gritty vibe you know it it was almost all too predictable but at the same sense i don't know what other way they could have taken it right you have you have a dad who's a serial killer and that right there always pretty much hints that this story is going to involve a fractured family right um so i, I think that part made sense and there, there's in the comics there's um i would guess some sort of contention or, or distrust between the two but at the same time in the comics their dad's actually a a flow a flow fully blown demon with horns and a throne and and all of that stuff you know i mean well satana in, in the comics also has horns you know um so it's um yeah i on one side, you know, I, I understand where they were they were going with that, but on the other side, you know, of course, naturally, I, I would have liked to seen something else. But then again, you know, time and time again, we've always seen the first entry from these Marvel properties, whether it either be Iron Man one, Thor one, Captain America one, Daredevil season one, you know, Luke Cage season one. Everything's tends to be. Um, tends to be these um scaled back affairs you know it's it's going to you need to throw this out there and attract the widest audience possible right um so it makes sense they would do something that's well i was gonna say to do something that's not totally bizarre but as you explain towards the end of the season it just gets 
10 times the crazy. Um, <laughs> they do amp up the crazy towards the end. They do. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, Which I was I ready for at that point, honestly. Like, I feel like it got, it, it kind of, it took a while to really lean into the horror elements. And I do, it feels like you make a show about, like, the, the son and daughter of the devil. At least that's the comic books, like, that they're basing it off of, right? And you are talking about a show that's all about, like, a war between demons and, and uh, priests and stuff. And so it should have horror elements to it. But I feel like they kind of, they backgrounded that aspect of it for a, a large portion of the series. I feel like there's a couple of set pieces here and there that really try to play up the horror angle. But I think like if you talk about another show that's very popular on streaming, a show like uh, The Haunting of Hill House, which came out a couple years ago on Netflix. I don't know. Have you seen that series? Uh, tidbits. I haven't watched it straight through. No. Okay. So that series is very much like it's telling a story about family trauma and family uh, dysfunctional family relationships. And it's using horror and the elements of horror to kind of like amplify those stories. Right. So it's all about like regret and loss and trauma, but it's using like literal ghosts to tell those stories. And you have like these jump scares and they live in a haunted house and it's this whole thing. Right. I feel like that's kind of the vibe that Hellstrom was going for, but it felt like it almost every turn they were kind of like easing up off the gas pedal to me i don't what do you think about that in terms of how they incorporate the horror right 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 yeah i agree you know there's several sudden shifts you know tonally throughout the show you know the first two episodes are very exorcist-esque right i mean the show starts off with a rainy asylum as it thunders and lightnings you know uh right. and, and the fog rolls in and and all that stuff and then episode three and four come around and they own they have a, a daredevil combined with like shield vibe you know and then five comes around and five's pretty much the only episode of the series that's flat out horror with the the jump scares and um the the really really dark vibes and tones and then again right at six it, it totally flips the vibe and Towards the end, I the last sequence of six um, through the end of the season, you know, it, it's tonally pretty mellow, um, but the content within the tone, it just, I don't know, it just seems, um, it, it seemed a little bit off for me at the end there, because, I mean, we're talking about, uh, we're going full spoilers, right? Yep, that's correct. Because uh, we're, uh, so we're talking about there, there was... Bassar, who was um, Kudmore, right? Old Colossus. And there was Magoth. Uh, and then there was Cathara. Cathara was in Mother, I think. But then... So Anna kills Victoria Hellstrom temporarily, and which forces Cathara to, to leave the body. And Cathara eventually goes to Gabriella because she was marked during the attack on the asylum. But then Basar, because he gets split in half and also dies, goes into Damon. So there's this weird sequence where Damon and Gabriella get intimate, but it's actually demon incest. Um, which yeah, is just, that was definitely I, the grossest part of the series. Right. <laughs> really. right. That, that was horrific right. in a whole other level, I think. <laughs> right, yeah. And it's the... Uh, that content just didn't really 
match the vibes. I'm not sure if it was, you know, the set decoration or how it was actually shot and looked, but it, they abandoned it. It was almost like a, a light tone in a sense, you know, they took manufactured this weird cabin like um I don't want to call it a safe house because it was a bunker kidnapping bunker type thing, you know. Um but the end mm-hmm. of the show just kind of um it's really light, even though the the storyline was getting much darker and pushing more boundaries than than Marvel's ever done before. Um, so yeah, it was just kind of disjointed, you know. And and you did say something earlier that that I wanted to kind of circle back on was the the length of the episodes and stuff. And and I I agree that isn't really a fair assessment, you know, because shorter doesn't necessarily equal better because we. We still got the Defenders, and that was eight episodes, and that was probably my least liked Marvel <laughs> thing ever. I do not like the Defenders whatsoever. Um, but here, yeah, I don't know. It, it just tried. They were trying to. Uh, it seemed like they wanted to push the boundaries and just dump jump head first into um, horror, which they did um, because, like we just said, demon incest and. Uh, Kudmore, I don't even know how to say his name. Daniel Kudmore, I think Kudmore uh, gets sawed in yeah, half and all his body around for a few episodes with his intestines hanging out, which is gross. Um, and I never anticipated to see that, but at the same time, it almost felt like they were um, holding back. At least maybe it's the cinematography or what, but it felt like part of it was holding back just to maybe try and get that Marvel branding on the show somehow. I don't know. That's that's just speculation on my part, but it, it did seem kind of mismatched there, um, especially as it as it moved on. Yeah, I think that in a lot of ways, it's kind of a show at war with itself, right? Because like it wants to push the envelope. It wants to be like, we're not like a typical Marvel series. We're going to go there with this stuff. Um, and on a superficial level, it kind of does in a lot of ways, like you said, like that whole sequence where people haven't watched the show uh basar is this kind of this demon presence who is the main antagonist uh which goes by mother who is most often seen uh portrayed by elizabeth marvel um she this is basar is her son uh they're both demons together i suppose um and the 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 hellstrom siblings are under the assumption that basar is actually their father and so they try to vanquish him um, in this moment of like false uh, triumph, uh, where they kind of they really uh, mutilate him and leave him on death's door, but he doesn't actually die. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's really grotesque what happens to him, uh, although it is very much in shadow for most of the time. Not that I wanted really to see it, but right. you don't really see as much as you would expect to. Um, but but it also but that just ultimately there's no suspense there. Like I think with horror, like there's gore gets so much attention right and just like we like twisted ideas get a lot of attention but if you don't execute it in a way that really amps up the suspense and the drama then it really doesn't land and i think this show has a suspense problem where it just it has and i think you bring up the cinematography is an interesting point because there is sort of like everything is dark and in shadows but there is this kind of digital sheen to the to the quality of the of the video most of the time and it does kind of just zap it of sort of like atmosphere. Like there's no atmosphere to this series. And I think part of it is, is the cinematography. I think part of it is 
some of the performances, unfortunately, in my opinion, don't really kind of meet the moment in a lot of ways. Um, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. Uh, we haven't really said Tom Austin plays Damon um, and Sidney Lemon play Anna. They're the two stars of the series, ostensibly. Um, and the kind of supporting characters are Ariana Guerrera, Guerrera um, who's play, who is Gabriella, who um, is, as we said, the, the nun who sort of gets tangled up in the Hellstrom family squabble. Um, and then you also have Elizabeth Marvel, who plays their mother, and also the demon, who I think is giving a truly excellent performance, maybe the only excellent performance in the series. Um, and then there's a couple of other characters, but that pretty much rounds out the main cast. And I'm curious, like, how do you think that the, the acting was on this show? And do you think that um, it contributed to some of the problems that we're discussing? Um, so, like, like you said, I mean, Elizabeth Marvel, she, she stole every scene she was in. She's um you know in terms of antagonists you know um she's she's up there high on my list i'm not going to say she's she's better than vincent's kingpin or anything like that you know but her performance you know especially early on the season when she was actually possessed was um you know top shelf stuff i'm not concerned that it's the the performances as compared to the writing you know um Again, you you have the. They say this is a horror show, and I'll agree with you. I mean, the only thing that really stuck out as, as complete, horror to me was that episode five, right? Just because, um, mm-hmm. um, the way you know everything, the way it was shot, we see Kathara in person, and and she's spooky. Um, but even from the get go, you know, I mean, uh. Louise Hastings sitting there typing and she gets pushed back and a demon starts typing over and over on her computer. I'm like, is this supposed to be scary or what? You know, this is campy as hell. I, I'm not sure what the <laughs> hell. I think they were typing no mercy in all caps over and over and over and over. I'm like, I don't know yes. about this. You know, I would say it's more of a, a right thing than always. Cause again, man, Kevin Feige doesn't allow this to to carry the Marvel brand, but at the same time, you know, this writer's room very much tries to give this show the wit and the charm of a Marvel property, even though they're trying to sell it as Marvel's first horror show, which, I mean, it, I mean, it technically is, right? It's probably the scariest thing Marvel's done, I guess. Um, yeah, although I honestly, I mean, I think that the horror elements in some of the Daredevil seasons work a lot better right, than what we right. see here. You know, right. I mean, and, it's and easy to forget that like Daredevil has like whole sequences where there's like, right. you know, like zombies coming back from the dead and right. all this stuff. Like there's some major like that sequence right. with Claire in the hospital. And mm-hmm. I believe that was season two of Daredevil. Yeah, right. That was just, and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. Right, right. And, you know, that comes down to, again, writing season two. Um of course with daredevil um yeah i don't know you know i some of the performances were off i'll agree with that you know it was it was very inconsistent though that's the thing there were there were sometimes like you said um with with ariana and and, um gabriella you know she was playing gabriella there were some scenes where um she was very convincing and then other scenes you know it just came across corny and i think that's largely in part due to the scripting um and and script and stuff like that and there's problems with pacing 
too, especially as we go on, you know, it, it has that slow, slow, slow buildup. And then by the time you get to the end, you, you have whiplash, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, yeah, I, I don't... I don't think I have any major criticisms on on the cast, you know, for the most part. I thought June did great as Hastings. I thought uh, Elaine was great as Chris Yen, but then again, they, they did manage to give him some of those over-the-top witty comments, one-liners type stuff. Some land, some don't. Um, and yeah, then, like, some of those, yeah. He, I agree. I think that he did, um, Elaine, you, uh, I think that he did a really nice job in the supporting role of Christian. I think that that character makes like no sense. And they try to be mysterious, uh, especially in the first half to try to like amp up the mystery of what's going on. And I think it just feels very incoherent and kind of makes it hard to like relate to what's going on with the character. Also, I thought that his, uh, his boyfriend, um, he's that guy seems like a very nice gentleman, but he was not really bringing it to the level that I think that he could have. Um, There's not really a lot of uh, affect and emotion. He thinks that his boyfriend has like gone missing and, and he's just like, Anna, I would really like it if you would let me know where Christian is. It's just like, all right. Right. And that's, that's, that's the part that some of the other supporting characters as well. And And I think that that's, you know, on a show that has a budget like this, right? It's not the most like well-financed show. It barely got off the ground, it seems, in a lot of ways. Um, so you really have to kind of like put your talent where it matters most. And with that, they chose to really invest in somebody like Elizabeth Marvel, and then didn't maybe necessarily get all of the like highest quality supporting actors around her. Um, but I think that that does ultimately kind of damage your ability to kind of buy into the world a little bit. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah, to a sense, you know, you, you bring up the uh, your police officer boyfriend and so, and that's the other type of thing, man. They set up so much stuff that they never explored fully. You know, there was like they were painting their house or something, and and we didn't see anything ever again after that. I don't think um, because yeah, that's the last scene that he's right. ever he's just like referenced off camera a couple of times, and you're just like, right, okay. and he just he pops up. He's very good at popping up. Like they search the database and he's there within five seconds, you know. He's right outside <laughs> the door with the, the police database. Um they uh what else was caretaker pops in and out all the time. Like sometimes he's just there and then they're like, Man, we really need caretaker and then we're like, Where the hell's caretaker at? Um I I have thoughts on that and why that kind of seemed disjointed and so I'm pretty sure at one point there may have been either a ghostwriter cameo or or something with a ghostwriter because most of the characters in Hellstrom, mind you, are ghostwriter supporting characters, right? We have Caretaker, who's, you know, he's the uh, sidekick to Ghostwriter. I mean, is he's like the Wong to Doctor Strange, I would guess. He's like the Bucky to Captain America, you know? Um so he's there. The blood, the blood's a, um, a ghostwriter group. Most of these um, demons, you know, Cathara's an actual comic character, and, and for the most part, she's um, uh, a ghostwriter character as well. And there's a lot of plots, plot points, plot devices, plot arcs that they they start to branch off into, but but they don't do anything with it you know and you look at daredevil and daredevil is a master class of 
of character development and execution, right? At least seasons one and two, right? You look at Daredevil season three, and it's probably the best written comic book adaptation, at least on television. You know, the only other one I can think of is Watchmen, you know, HBO's Watchmen. Um, But the dedication they brought to these characters, um, you know, at least in Daredevil season three, you know, we, we haven't seen anything like that. And then part of that is too, I mean, we're talking about a show that had three seasons, right? So, um, who knows, maybe season two, uh, of Hellstrom is, you know, should it come back? It's going to explore these, it's going to explore the, the Chris and, um, his boyfriend, his partner relationship, you know, they, they always mentioned Anna and her partner or her, her dating profile, or they mentioned swipe right or, or something. So maybe it's mm-hmm. Tinder or, or whatever app she's using. And then that was just kind of a throwaway, you know, it was kind of the, the throwaway to, to set up. I mean, Marvel television's always at least it's weird enough. Ike Pullmutter oversees Marvel Television, but at the same time, Marvel Television always seems to do um, give us the most diverse characters first, right? You look at Agents of Shield, and they've introduced you know LGBTQ characters on, on Shield, and they gave us you know female leads on on Shield first, and then technically, at this Anna's the first um, LGBTQ character that's a lead i think now correct me if i'm wrong but i'm pretty sure that's the case except even then they only kind of made passing references at it so i'm not sure i guess i don't even know if that's i don't want to say acceptable or she's she's definitely established as a queer character it's not a major part of her arc on the show um she doesn't actually get to they reference the fact that she's dating people that she's kind of has a crush like she's she thinks about kind of trying to seduce gabriella at one point but Mm -hmm. it's mostly as a joke um she's not actually shown as an actively queer character it's more of like a passively queer character which is something that um i think you know queer audiences are used to seeing in this sort of way where it's like well they technically are queer because we're saying that they are but we're not actually showing that to be the true but i think that that is at least mitigated somewhat with the christian character who as we established does have a boyfriend their romantic relationship is at least supposed to be a important part of the show um even though as you said it does sort of kind of like just pop up and then get dropped off at various points um but i think that is i think that their intent was to be a, a a very queer visible series and i think that um you know the pacing problems that we've been discussing kind of get in the way of that a little bit but but yeah, it is, it is definitely the most high-profile queer character that Marvel has produced. Um, you know, there's like uh, longtime fans of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. might remember Joey Gutierrez, who was mm-hmm. a, a supporting character on S.H.I.E.L.D. for a season. And I believe he sort of just vanishes at the end of the yes, season that he was featured in and never referred to again. <laughs> that's exactly it. That's the, that's the most yeah. with uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. characters. <laughs> and that's the thing, you know, maybe they explored in future seasons, you know, God willing it... Uh, it comes back, you know, but again, it comes to pacing and, and some plot choices, you know, by the end of Hellstrom season one, I mean, if you think about it, Chris Yen's like the main character, like this is the Chris Yen show. Cause they made him the keeper. Who's the only one that can stop 
demons. You yeah. know, you just thought they let were. Let me like, let me ask you, what do you, how did that go for you? So, like for people who haven't watched the show, Christian's a supporting character. He's he's Anna's longtime friend and business partner. They kind of grew up in an orphanage together. You get at least that seems to be the case. Um, and like at a certain point, Anna becomes in gets it, pretty early on. Anna is in possession of this uh, one-eyed skull, which is very creepy. Uh, mm. And Christian uh, seems to become under its thrall and uses it to uh, puncture his veins um, <laughs> underground while he's eating rats. And there's like a whole lot of what's going on with him. Is he going crazy? Uh, and then you ultimately find out, no, he's become possessed by a keeper demon which is like a good demon who is uses its powers to capture bad demons um and like then it helps him by the end of the series become a superpowered being on at, at least on the level of um anna and damon and gets to play uh, pretty prominently in the in the final episode how did that arc work for you and do you think that the show did a good job of like communicating what was happening what the deal is with keepers why he became a keeper are you glad that that's an occurrence like i just i'm curious about that arc and what your thoughts it's um i mean it's a the keeper skull was a needed MacGuffin, right they needed that and i i think it made sense it's just a peculiar choice you know um you would have thought that since um damon and anna both are are demon offspring they would have had the voices in their head that pushed them to find this and they would have been marked as the keeper instead you know so one of the two title characters can stop it you know and that's the thing so this it happens early on like one two or or three chris finds the uh the skull um who was holding back who was holding mcgoth i think it was holding back right because you have Kumor that was Basar, and then Basar breaks out of the asylum and unlocks Magoth, and Magoth goes to the um, Blood Motel or whatever it was and possesses the the guy at the Blood Motel. Um, but yeah, it's they needed it in the series. I don't know why they chose Chris to do it because now. Like it says, it instantly catapults him up to a main character because now, as we saw with towards the end, you know, when they finally get the, uh, they reform the knife and they finally give us Damon's trident, albeit it's a uh, visual effects edition with fire, but it's not quite fire. Um, so um, that, that weapon is from the comic books? Yeah, the tr- the trident, and you can only see it in one shot. It's that's what's kind of kind of weird to me, at least, because so they reforged the knife, which the knife was belonged to. It's like demon metal or whatever. I don't even think they got into the 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 uh, makeup of it, but uh, yeah, they do. It was fa- very hand wavy when they right, kind of right. Father Helstrom broke it in half and. And they couldn't use it in pieces. They needed to forge it back together. So they forged it back together. And I don't think it formed a trident when Anna stabbed the one guy. It just looked like a long fire pole or something to me. But when Damon had it, it certainly formed into the the trident thing at the one shot. When he kind of turns it on the side, you can you can kind of see it's a trident. It's pretty. It looks almost identical to 
the comics weapon and then it disappears once the demons burnt away or whatever but the 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 keeper arc it, it makes sense you know it makes sense that because as we've seen throughout the series these demons once they're out of the body they can pop up into anyone that has the mark right which as far as we know there's mm-hmm. hundreds if not thousands of people that have been marked throughout the the whole entire mcu or this corner of the marvel world right um right and like other horror stories there's you know, like the exorcism of Emily Rose, I don't ever think you see the demon, right? It's always this unseen entity that pushes her down against the bed and possesses her. And uh, that's certainly the case here. You know, you don't have to spend money on visual effects or anything to do a weird signs-looking alien demon type thing. <laughs> um, so it makes sense that you need the keeper to kind of hold these unseen entities back. Um, it just makes it easier for the viewers to say, okay, well, this one-eyed guy, you know, is needed to hold these demons back. Um, and as soon, but like, were you like, were you like invested in that storyline? Do you feel like they told it well, or do you just like you appreciate? Like, uh, no, I don't think so. Because he, they introduced it right. They introduced it very early on with the. Um, with the skull, but they painted it as if they tried painting it as like a villain arc or something, right? They almost turned Chris into an antagonist there for a second, and then he goes into the asylum, and then he's gone, and then that doesn't come back until very late in the series when he looks down at his arm or down his throat and he sees the eye in his throat. I think that's like episode 9 or 10. That might be towards the end end. Um you know, so there's a lot of, uh, I would guess, I mean, you could call it world building they did, but they haven't explored, they've hardly scratched the surface with it, you know, and that's the type of thing. I'm not even sure if Chris will get his due diligence in this series with the Hellstroms, you know, it just, um, they introduced a lot of characters and they introduced a lot of ideas and concepts that they have yet to execute on, which is uh, very, very unfortunate, I guess, should this end up being a limited series, you know? Yeah, I think ultimately, like, the pacing issues that you're talking about, like, this storyline is a, is a victim of that as well. Like, I think that it makes sense on paper to say, like, okay, well, Anna has these two brothers. One is her uh, biological brother. The other is an adopted brother. Um, and so they'll both kind of, so she kind of will use her adopted brother to help her, uh, save her biological brother, right? That's kind of the climax of the season. And that, that sounds good on paper. And it's a question of like, how do we get there? Well, obviously that means that Christian has to get powered up at some point, right? Like Chris has to be able to be on the same level. So this arc is a way to do that, but it just, it really does feel like they kind of botched it. And there was a lot of, like they tried to lean into the mystery of it. And instead it just was a bit incoherent and sporadic. And I kind of, I kind of feel like there is a problem with that throughout a lot of the supporting characters. Like there's the whole issue with Gabriella where she like at some point falls in love with Damon, which felt really unearned to me. I don't know how you felt about that. Um, <laughs> I, that that whole arc didn't work for me at all, and neither did her uh, reversal in the end of this season, where she uh, decides that Damon is an entirely um, like uh, negative presence in the world. Um, that also, like, I just I didn't really. I thought that Gabrielle was an interesting character. I thought that the actress who 
who portrayed her did a good job and I thought that the writing was just very inconsistent and uh and I just had a hard time buying into like her emotional reality at any point right 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 yeah inconsistent the thing you know with these shows there's always going to be shipping and all of that right and to me those two made the most sense you know there's always the the tension you know early on too it's the it's the second scene after after the the quote-unquote spooky keyboardist you know we, we go to seattle or whatever and and we run into damon and gabrielle and there's always that tension there but it, it doesn't seem romantic or sexual at first but it, it eventually gets there um kind of you know that's the thing i'm watching this and um it just clicked i'm like oh man they're going to uh turn this into something romantic and then the next shot they start kissing or something you know it was it was a very rapid ascension if if you could call it that you know they got to the uh relationship very quickly and they got out of it even quicker you know but uh, and then again i mean <laughs> yeah. i it's hard to fault gabriella's choice she was impregnated by a demon and went full term in less than 24 hours like it makes sense that yeah. she would want nothing to do with <laughs> any of them ever again um, i think that's fair like it's she was she's rightfully traumatized by everything that happened right. um i just i just don't totally buy the idea that like she is blaming him for not being able to fight being possessed by a demon like when like that doesn't really seem very fair especially considering she also very recently was possessed by a demon so she kind of knows the deal with that so i just i didn't really feel i think that you could have uh, if you gave it a little bit more time you could have made the audience connect with that emotionally and been like well there's not it's not logically consistent but emotionally it makes sense for this character and i just think they kind of rushed it because they were at the end and they wanted to get to the big twist of her joining the blood and and so you have to kind of rush through it i'm curious like how do you think that the blood worked as a uh secondary antagonist throughout the series um because for people who haven't watched the blood or this kind of like ancient organization of demon hunters that are kind of done through the vatican um and uh they have sort of uh morally gray methods for um for trying to vanquish demons um and they are they're very much like the ends justify the means sort of a group um and they very much are very antagonistic towards the hellstroms because they believe you know they're as bad as as the demons that birthed them in a lot of ways so how, how did that work as a as a secondary antagonist that's the uh, kind of like the major part in, in this world building they were trying to do, you know. Um, it, it goes a long ways to say, you know, this group's been around for, for so long and they've dealt with so much. And then that means if they've dealt with so much, they've dealt with certainly Marduk or Marduk and, you know, Papa Hellstrom whenever, how long ago they've dealt with this and this and certainly they've run in with the spirit of vengeance at some point you know so i mean that the crossover material with with ghost rider and and glyph and all the other series that they're going to do at one point or another you know um again i it's, mm -hmm. we, we did i i think the the lead person's name's esther i mean it's a comics group and the comics it's an actual ancient race that you know they they go against ghost rider and such again a lot of these are ghost rider characters um 
but yeah, I, I'd attribute that more to uh, to to the world building aspect of it. You know, it's um, if we look at what was it, Agents of Shield season four, I think had the pods. There was the Ghost Rider, then the LMD, and then the Framework or yep. whatever. I think that was season four. Um, yeah, that was season four. That's kind of what they tried doing here a bit. You know, one through five were were against um, Mother and Cathara. Um, then they, they found out it wasn't Dad, and then the blood swoops in, and they're essentially the primary antagonist for the, the second half of the season for the most part. I mean, obviously, Cathara and Basara yeah, and the Sort Goth of. Are st- Sort of, yeah. Yeah, that's um, sort of true. It gets kind of muddy, I think. Is, right, and, yeah, I think and, that, that and that's part of the issue. Right, and again, it all comes down to the the paste and the writing, and they. Uh, it feels like they tried shoving as many Easter eggs in here as possible, with hopes that. Um, I mean, when this was written, when the whole by the time the whole season was written, you know. Marvel Television was going to do their whole Defenders verse thing on Hulu, right? They had Ghost Rider planned. They uh, reportedly had a Glyph show planned. They reportedly had two more shows planned. Um, so when this was written, um, they they were building a, a new world, man, and and they uh, the Bloods kind of a, a the biggest organization. Um, in this horror type universe, I guess. So I, I get where they were coming because they started production. The first day of production was the day they canceled ghost rider and everyone found out about the, the uh, cancellation and stuff. So, I mean, they, they were already in preview to the sets were built. You know, they were already filming by the time ghost rider was filmed and, and all that stuff. But then again, people don't know that, you know, someone's searching through Hulu and they see this, they see this Hellstrom trailer pop up. They're not going to know that, you know, so that's kind of unfair to bring. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and and they also seem to like explicitly want you to not know about that because they're not branding it as Marvel's Hellstrom, right? They're not. So, so they want it to kind of stand on its own, um, at least now, right now that they're now that they've abandoned the plans for the rest of it. Um, And for people who don't know the backstory, basically what happened as Adam was saying uh, there was this whole plan to do this kind of like acts of vengeance uh, uh, interconnected universe of TV shows that are uh, that are based off of like the horror side of the Marvel universe. Um, and it was all going to be on Hulu. And then basically uh, Marvel TV collapsed. It no longer exists as a studio. It got absorbed into the Marvel Studios proper and uh, in favor of the and they kind of pivoted to the the Disney Plus uh, type of content and so all of the shows around Hellstrom kind of just fell apart um, but Hellstrom was far enough along into production that they that they couldn't back off of the show at that point because um, too much had been invested in it so they said well we'll put this out and you know if it's successful we'll do another season but we won't do this interconnected universe so I do think that it is kind of weighed down in certain parts by the setting up a universe that isn't going to exist um but honestly, given that context, I was surprised by how little of an issue that was. I thought it might be even more distracting than it ended up being. So that was kind of a, a nice surprise, I guess. But the bloods really are the most, uh, the, the biggest uh, negative aspect of that whole abandoned plotline. Because I just don't think they really bring that much to the show. Um, and they kind of 
uh, confuse things towards the end a little bit, I think. And and when they pop up, you're just, I think you're supposed to feel things that I just personally didn't really feel. <laughs> so that right. was an issue. Um, right. But I guess now, like, kind of closing out, we kind of are, we're winding down on time. And so I wanted to ask you, thinking about a season two, if this ends up being successful enough to warrant it, like, what is it that you would like to see um, moving forward, you know, like a lot of times with shows like this that have sort of a mixed creative uh, reception, if they do get picked up for a second season, they'll abandon uh, a couple of different uh, plot lines and, and and components and kind of like recenter around um, a different creative idea. So is it like, what would you like to see carry over into a season two? And what would you like to see them kind of leave by the wayside? Right, right, right. So, um, I mean, I, I really like the ending, you know, it's a huge cliffhanger, um, you know, speaking of limited series, but they, they need to, um, approach that as, as the primary plot, um, because they lay, he's from, I think, uh, Mitch Pelegi is his name, Pelegi, um, yeah, he was a minor Supergirl antagonist last season, right. yeah. so it was kind and, of funny to see him pop up here. Right, he was uh, also X-Files and I think Sons of Anarchy, maybe. Um, I mean, he's father, he's Marduk, um, so it was great seeing him pop up, and even more than that, so the reason Gabriella was impregnated was because they needed a new host body for Cathara because Victoria Hellstrom was was dying. Um so they impregnated her to get a new human body. Um which also raises a kind of, couple types of questions because we saw the baby come full term in nine months and then within a month she was nine or ten. So these bodies age rapidly. So are they just going to keep doing this over and over and over but anyway that's besides the point so the baby ages from they don't say the age i'm assuming 10 years old ish i mean she looked yeah old the enough, little, right? yeah yeah so for people who who are a little confused um they def so the woman gabriella she gets impregnated she comes to full term in a single day like within 24 mm -hmm. hours she gives birth to this baby um and then we kind of see the baby and and there's a sort of parallel between how she came into the world and how Damon and Anna came into the world, which I think is supposed to have sort of an emotional power for the audience of like, oh, well, we can't condemn this baby because then that would be like condemning our main characters. But I don't think they totally land that parallel the way that they could have. But in any case, we kind of, you know, we end the season with this sort of nice little family dinner. The whole family has been reunited. The baby is safe. They're going to kind of choose to take care of her and adopt her into her and just try to give her the life that they wanted for themselves in the hopes that it will kind of counteract the demon presence that lives somewhere inside of her. Um, but then we flash forward a month later and the child is about 10 years old uh, with Chris and they're about to go on a ferry of some sort. And then, um, as you said, this character who who appears to be father uh, kind of comes and, and takes what is his, which is uh the, which is the little girl and so yeah that is and that's kind of where then we're left for like a tease for season two now is that character that we're talking about is he supposed to be their father specifically i thought that it was kind of for so me it, was, it seems a little uh, ambiguous but i don't have as much uh, background with the comics so i thought maybe so, they may have picked it the way that i didn't uh, notice 
So I, I'm assuming he's Marduk, um, Marduk Curios, who is the father of Damon and Anna. But then it just flipped everything on its head. So Cathara is also in the comics as a demon. I think she even goes up against Doctor Strange. Um, and Chris flat out, call, they're boarding the ship, and he calls her Cathara, which isn't uh, a regular, really human-sounding name by <laughs> any means. Um, and then this Marta guy comes and says that, you know, he, he's taking her, and he flat out says Cathara. That's paraphrasing. Her name's not Cathara. And the little girl thinks back and says her name's Lily, which also um, instantly set off the... the uh, alarm in my head because obviously lily I, i'm assuming they're going to turn lily into lilith which makes a lot of sense yeah. because lilith's the mother of demons of course um and she's in she just had an excellent run in the uh um ed breeson's ghostwriter she she just popped up then again that got canceled long before it's, it's due but uh she's she's a relatively popular character and um in these Marvel comics, obviously Lilith and, and mytholo- mythology and demonology and all this stuff too, but she's at least this takes a Marvel comics character. Um, so apparently, um, and it just kind of like, oh man, Adam, how didn't you think of this before? Because she's the mother of demons, right? She births demons, and it totally makes sense because throughout this whole series, she's been marking people, and these demons are popping up left and right. You know, there's Basar and there's Magoth. But then there's also this priest. I think his name was Rom, um, mm-hmm. and and plenty. Of, I think we saw a few others. You know, oh, we we saw that whole motel um, at one point with with people that were in medically induced comas. Um, but then yeah, they kind of toss it on its head because she calls Lily this um, this gentleman that shows up, um, Papa. So. Does she mean Papa as in father or Papa as in grandfather? Because then we get into this thing where, well, it doesn't make sense because Lilith has no relation to Damon and um, Damon and Satan in the comics, right? But also Damon has a kid named Demona, and technically this version is Damon's kid, right? Um, so is it Lilith or is it... Demona, and they're just using Lily as an Easter egg to Lilith. Um, again, they just threw out, like I said, Easter eggs. You know, they never once explicitly state that the guy that shows up at the end is Damon and um, Anna's father. Uh, as they're walking away, it says, "Let's go find your brother and sister." Right? Um, right. So that's Which kind of much... suggests that that's where they're headed, but it but they could go in a different direction, right? They right. could just but be at the same, other exactly. demons. Right, like Basar or Magoth or Cathara or yeah. whoever, you know. I, I'll say the way that I kind of read it was that I I totally picked up on the Lilith Lily thing as well. Um and I kind of saw it as like, okay, well, this is Lilith being actualized, right, in their in her new form, and that the papa father figure is maybe the devil, right? And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, we're finally gonna get the devil, and like that's the devil is uh anna and damien's real father in this universe and maybe it's all he would also be the father of lilith and so there before we have this whole new element and we're finally going to take on the big bad that we maybe thought we were dealing with in the first half of this season Mm -hmm. um i guess my question for you is like do you care like is that an interesting story do you want to see that pursued do you trust this creative team to do that 
that's the one thing I want to see. Um, out of anything that popped up, <laughs> the last 30, 40 seconds of the series, the, the one thing I want to I want to see most, you know, it's um, I think, again, it's going to push the show to new heights uh, because obviously this guy's screen presence kind of dwarfed everyone else on screen. We saw he can kill several people without doing anything or presumably kill people. I mean, people were falling down left and right. I assumed those people were dying or at least choking or some Darth Vader type stuff, you know, Um <laughs> I mean, he has the screen presence, and it's going to keep in line with the the whole dysfunctional family, even though the family got back together, right? I mean, it's kind of right. um, the same stuff again, but in, that's how they're they're treating these characters, you know? It's the the family stuff, or maybe found family type themes um, um, with caretaker and Louise. Um, and all, all that type of stuff. So I don't think I, I, I'd mind it. You know, again, how how far would they go? Would they treat it again like a half and half type thing? Because, I mean, dad's a bad dude. We know dad's a bad dude. Um, and the blood's <laughs> still very much out there. Now um, Gabriella joined him. So apparently McGaugh. And that's the other thing. We see um, Esther. Is it Esther or Ethel? Um, Esther, the, yeah, I Esther. believe it's Esther. You see, Esther, Gabriella, and um, the guy who got possessed by Magoth. So either Magoth was in cahoots with them, or Magoth got burnt out. See, I just, I was under the assumption. Well, yeah, that no, we see, we thing. see him, we, yeah, we see him get the demon inside that character be slain uh, by demon. So I think that we're led. We should believe that that demon is gone. Right, which means, I mean, pretty much Gabriella is essentially Gabriel the Demon Hunter um, from the mm-hmm. comics. I would guess that's the correlation there, and it's they just swapped out genders or, or whatnot, which makes perfect sense because there's not going to be one... Per- if there's one person on Twitter that's mad at a gender-swapped Gabriel <laughs> the Demon Hunter, they're lying um, because no one... <laughs> Um, yeah, that's a pretty deep cut. <laughs> so there's, we're talking, I mean, less than Z-list, man. We're talking <laughs> double Z-list characters. Um, but so there's them again, you know. So I, they're going to be coming guns blazing with, you know, against Damon and Anna, while at the same time Anna and Damon are tracking down Lily and, and such. And... Then you have so, Chris in the mix. So do you? So so let me ask again. Do you trust this creative team to actually tell that story in a satisfying way? We'll see. You know, maybe because I mean, the, the thing is, the the general populace seems to enjoy this series a lot. Now, for the most part, I mean, I gave it a positive review. I enjoyed it more than I disliked it, um, and I absolutely want to see a second season. And it's all up to. I mean, if it's Hulu, you know. Um, who could bring in a new creative team? I don't even know how to say Paul's last name. Um, I just keep calling him Paul. Um, his <laughs> overall deal with with Marvel was one of the casualties of this merger, as was um, what's his name, Steve Lightfoot with the Punisher. So they had overall, they actually had overall deals with Marvel, um, which Marvel's television didn't really do overall deals before, um, but they did. Um, and that's over. So, I think now that this, yeah, because this now that the studio has been dissolved, I think that those deals go away. So Hulu could, I mean, Hulu could bring in um, 
you know, other people of of interest that could bring Paul back. And um, that's the thing. I mean, the the arcs are there, you know. Now it's their job to execute those without setting too many more up. You know, I think it was still satisfying in the most part, um, but it's certainly not a limited series. It wasn't written as a limited series. It wasn't shot as a limited series. It was shot. Um, I mean, it's obvious that they wrote it um, with more episodes in mind. Um, so I'm assuming Paul has at least an outline of where he wants to go, an idea of where he wants to go. Um, and I would have faith he he executes on that you know i mean it's it's maybe it's the type of thing where it's a a two-part thing and and everything uh shakes out well as it stands now it's kind of uh um, disjointed you know um but the the optimist in me the apologist in me says um i would have faith in them to uh to wrap it up in another another season. Of course, we'd have to talk again this time next year or, or what have you, you know. But at the same <laughs> right. time, we'll, we still have a big hurdle to get over um, first, which is it actually getting that second season the way it is. So, yeah, I have faith in them to uh, to wrap it up in the second season. Um, but we, we, we have to get there first, which is certainly an uphill battle. Yeah, I have to say for me, I'm a little bit less optimistic about them being able to land the story that they're trying to set up. Um, I ended up just giving final thoughts now about like overall the whole series for me. I ended up liking it a little bit more than I expected it to, given it's like aside from your review, which is very positive. Most of the other reviews were unfortunately not as positive. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went in a little bit worried about what we were getting ourselves into. Um, And I thought that some of the family dynamics worked pretty well and was a pretty smart spine for the series to have. Um, and I think that like a couple of the actors there are very compelling, you know, Elizabeth Marvel, as I said, I'm a big fan of hers. I've been a fan of hers for a long time. And I think she's really excellent, not just as the demon, which she is, and she does that very well, but she also has the opportunity to play this kind of like very traumatized and broken and mentally ill woman. And she does that in a very compelling way. And then towards the end of the season, she kind of gets to be healthy again and just be a loving and nurturing mother connected to the real world once again, finally. And I think she plays that version of the character very compelling as well so i thought she's like a real standout and i think if there's any reason to watch this season it would definitely be to see what she's doing um i think some of the other actors were pretty interesting and i would like to see them in other things especially anna played by sydney lemon i thought she oftentimes had a (laughs) i thought some of the dialogue and some of the kind of uh plotting that they gave that character didn't always service her well but i thought she did her very best to try to make her feel like a coherent character that was had charisma and was interesting um and i think uh unfortunately i can't really say the same for the character of damon i think tom austin seems like a very nice man but uh, they kind of saddled him with this kind of need to be sort of a tony stark uh stephen strange sort of quippy super charismatic guy and i felt like he was just very kind of bland a lot of the times and just didn't really have that edge that he needed and it just especially when you're playing a character like the son of satan you kind of expect a little bit more than what he kind of brought to the table and i do agree that that was also a writing uh challenge as well so i think ultimately i probably wouldn't watch a second season of this show 
Um, but I would be interested to uh, to see what you thought of a second season and whether you thought it was interesting to watch. Um, and I guess I want to end by kind of, you know, a thing that a lot of comic book fans like to do is uh, ranking uh, different properties against each other. Um, and I'm curious to kind of put into context your praise of the show where you think it kind of stands with some of the other Marvel television series that we have. I think like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is such a different thing. Like it has such a different tone and it works Mm -hmm. as a show in a very different way. So I feel like if we kind of like table Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and like Agent Carter as like a separate sphere, like I think that this show kind of stands at least in the, in the shadow of the Netflix series. So I'd be curious, Mm -hmm. like how you would say this stacks up, like in terms of that, like those shows the the jessica jones and daredevil and luke cage and iron fist like if you had to kind of like say where would this fall in between all those like what would you say i i'd, I'd probably say in the middle of of the pack i mean it's certainly better than iron fist season one um i'm not super high on daredevil season two i don't like jessica jones season two luke cage season two um I hate the second half of Luke Cage season one, man. They were doing such <laughs> great things with Mahershala and, and Cottonmouth. And the second half of that's probably my least favorite thing in all of the Defenders. Side. It's not better, obviously, than Daredevil season three. It's not better than Jessica Jones season one. It's not better than the first half of Luke Cage season one. It's not better than... Um, I didn't mind Jessica Jones season three. I think I didn't like the mother stuff, but the fool killer stuff or the pseudo fool killer stuff they introduced there um, wasn't too bad. So um, I would rank it above, like I said, Iron Fist season one, Daredevil season two, The Defenders, um, probably both Punishers. I didn't, I didn't care for those. Um, yeah. All right, yeah, so like went, very like middle of the road. Yeah, it's very middle of the, the road, yeah. It's certainly not better than Iron Fist Season 2 or Daredevil Season 3 or Jessica Jones 1, the first half of Luke Cage 1. Um, I'd put Jessica Jones Season 3 above it as well. So yeah, very middle of the road. Yeah, I would, I'd, I would probably put it a little bit lower than that, but I do think that it's kind of like in that same ballpark. And I think it's interesting that the show kind of could stand shoulder to shoulder with these like it feels like if you were going to say like 10 years from now you're like oh i want to watch like what marvel tv was putting out a decade ago like i would probably say that this could kind of fit in with those other shows i will say that i think like uh a show like cloak and dagger which was on freeform for two seasons i think Mm -hmm. is a show that like had a very similar quality level to hellstrong but that show i thought had really strong lead characters and really Mm -hmm. strong performances and it really kind of helped compensate for some of the sort of issues that all of these shows kind of have had with pacing and writing and, and things like that. And I and I wonder what this, what Hellstrom could have been like if they had kind of landed the casting a little bit better, um, like they did with with um, with the Cloak and Dagger kids. Right, right, right. Yeah, Cloak and Dagger was excellent. Like, like you said, you hit the nail on the head. Um, it certainly very much fits in with with those defenders. I mean, even with cloak and dagger, that was a lot more cinematic than any other TV show they've done. I think, I mean, even though it was on Freeform, it looked 
more like a, a movie certainly than like runaways or or definitely agents of shield you know it was right up there with agent carter in terms of actual cinematic look and feel so yeah i'll agree with you on that okay well thanks again uh, adam for coming on and talking about hellstrom i'm glad that it worked a little bit better for you than it did for me since you're such right, a big right, right. fan of the of the character um that was honestly if this if this if the show could do anything um but satisfy you then i feel like it's it's worth it because <laughs> right, no one right. really cared about how good it was more than you did so right, i'm glad exactly. you were disappointed right. um but I wanted to give you a chance to, I know that you've been working on a comic book that's going to be coming mm-hmm. out very soon or is in the process of coming out now. So I want to give you a chance to tell our audience about that. Yeah. yeah. So I'm writing the book. The book is called shit show. It's uh, being published by uh, scout comics and upcoming kind of small press indie publisher. Um, and it's, it's a superhero book. It's a Kate book. It's about uh, drunk carnies with superheroes or superpowers, excuse me, drunk carnies with superpowers, um everything's a mess and these drunkards need to find out how to save the world it comes out december 2nd you may still be able to pre-order it the whole comic pre-ordering system so out of whack um you have to pre-order it two months in advance um so you might still be able to pre-order it at your local store i've seen some listings online i've seen like midtown comics has them has it for pre-order um thanks from another world um a bunch of others so it's up for pre-order now chances are pre-orders are probably going to be uh, on the lower end um so depending on where you live i'm not sure your your store will have it um or not come december 2nd it's due for release december 2nd um so so you'll just have to look like i said you might be able to still pre-order it this week um or the cutoff might already um be done but i would i would very much appreciate it it's it's not too super serious um obviously judging by the name um but uh <laughs> it's uh i it's a certainly i like to think it's a, a fresh take on a superhero book especially for a, a small press uh indie type thing so yeah shit show number one is out december 2nd yeah that's i'm excited for that it's it, it should be really cool it's a fun idea so and um, also, uh, if you guys have enjoyed this very extended conversation about Marvel TV, a uh, good place to hear more of that from Adam, along with some breaking news and, and interviews, is is a podcast called Marvel News Desk, which yep. he hosts with Caleb and Rhiannon. Um, they do a great job every week. Uh, really, it's a really fun show. I, I've I've watched, or I should say, I've listened to a lot of um, Marvel or comic book centric podcasts over the years, and I usually have to bail on them after a certain point because they kind of are just like uh like hype machines for like whatever it is that they're excited about which you know there's a place for that but i like the fact that you guys actually like engage critically with the stuff and like have and are not just like everything's amazing everything's awesome all the time and uh and i wanted to say that because i know sometimes you get feedback like why are you mean to the things that we like (laughs) that's (laughs) the only feedback we get yeah it's uh no it's uh I mean, we all we're all fans. We met through Marvel stuff, um, and and we're we're essentially family right now, you know. And um, yeah, it's uh, we like the stuff, but you know, you you can like the stuff in and critique it at the same time, you know. And, and a lot of uh, 
fans don't seem to get that judging by <laughs> judging by the reviews <laughs> we get on Apple. Um, so yeah, if if you're looking for uh, a hype machine, I mean, it's not. Uh, maybe it's overbearing sometimes. I have a feeling that they both hate Hellstrom. So, so coming up here next year, <laughs> so I'm sure they're going to rig on that a fair amount. But yeah, give it to give it a listen. That's mostly uh, Caleb's work. Rhiannon uh, does a lot for the site too, and I just kind of show up and try to uh, push my very low standards on programming on everyone else. <laughs> That and talk about all of the fun foods you can eat in Iowa, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but um, yeah, so check him out there. Check him out at comicbook.com where he breaks news and does interviews and all that stuff. Um, as for me, you can follow me on Twitter and uh, Letterboxd at Media Thinkings. Uh, you can follow my film podcast, Cinema Joes, at Cinema Joes. Uh, we release every other Thursday. Um, we've been spending the fall talk, uh, having guests come on and talk about our favorite films of all time to kind of have a nice little bomb in our very chaotic, uh, fall that we are experiencing, unfortunately. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. Uh, we also, uh, you can follow that. You can find that podcast on, um, Spotify and Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, all the rest. Uh, in addition to this show on uh, Pop Break TV, you can also uh, find some other fun shows on this network, including uh, my monthly TV podcast, TV Break, which I host with uh, um, the chief, the editor-in-chief, Bill Bodkin, of the website uh, popbreak.com, and also popbreak.com's TV columnist, Josh Cernacki. Uh, you can also uh, check out Josh's um, podcast that he does with his brother called the anniversary brothers where they talk about uh one tv show every month that is celebrating a a fun uh anniversary and they do a deep dive into that series uh their most recent one was for september with batman the animated series so if you're liking comic book stuff that's definitely something to check out uh and then also we have live laugh and lovey with um uh, done by Lovey McPherson, where her and some of her friends get together and talk about uh, fun reality shows and soapy primetime dramas uh, that they're watching. So you can follow all of that stuff. And we have some other stuff coming next month that I'm excited to announce very soon for Pop Break. Um, but in the meantime, uh, this is Alex. Thanks again, Adam, for coming on. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. And we'll see you next month.